The Giles Files is sponsored by BetterHelp. Affordable, professional online therapy from any device, text, chat, and video. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with a BetterHelp therapist. And here's a special offer for Giles Files listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. That's betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. And thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. It's the Giles Files Season 3. More Bafo shows, that's a guarantee. Nancy Giles and producer Nancy Wyatt. We got opinions, we ain't keeping quiet. On the Giles Files Season 3. Yeah. I received a call that I have been inducted inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Oh, congratulations! And you're you you guys are would be the first media outlet to receive this news. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> what does that entail? Yeah. They nominate nine people and they bring in four. So I've been nominated three times. And this is the first time you made it in. Yeah. You know, I was worried that there was, I was going to be like the Pete Rose of barbecue at some point. So here's the thing about John Marcus. He is funny. He's written jokes for Bob Hope and Joan Rivers and among other things, produced, created, and written for a bunch of TV shows like Taxi, The Cosby Show, The Larry Sanders Show, and Late Line, which he created for his friend, former Senator Al Franken. But behind the laughter lies another John Marcus, driven by three simple elements, heat, smoke, and meat. He studied with the greats, and in time, his barbecue pitmaster fixation evolved into a reality competition series he created called Barbecue Pitmasters, of course. As you just heard, John is a brand new inductee into the Barbecue Hall of Fame, considered by many to be the Academy Awards of Barbecue Pitmastery. We do want to warn you that the following interview involves discussions about meat in its many forms and may be triggering to vegetarians, vegans, and others. If so, we advise you to ask your taste buds to leave the room. I mean, I'm certainly getting inducted because I, I barbecue and I understand it and I do it a lot, but I think it's the TV series. That's well, what hey. got me in. Barbecue Pitmasters. We're at the Smoking and Mesquite Barbecue Competition where there's $40,000 on the line. Oh, I tell you what, I want a taste of the one that beats those. These barbecue cook-offs are outdoor events. You have to be prepared for any kind of weather. You better step it up, son. This ain't no backyard barbecue. I'm out here to win it. I'm out here for the money. I'm out here for the prestige. You're losing your touch, old man. Why don't you come over here and taste some real barbecue? How do you become a pit master? What do you have to win awards? Do you have to take a class? How do you get that title? Well, the most important thing to know about that is it's a self-proclaimed title. (laughs) (laughs) The path to barbecue is um, uh, unlikely and unexpected. I was never a chef. I, I had learned after college, I took cooking classes in Santa Monica 
when I was out in LA and I did it because I thought it was the best way to uh, meet a potential love interest. That's smart. But everyone in the class was married. <laughs> That's not so smart. <laughs> They'd gotten married and they said, well, maybe I better learn how to do some of this. How to cook. Isn't it true that Al Franken has a little, he's a little bit of that path? He is the, gets total credit as the origins of my interest in barbecues, former Senator Franken. And um, that is, we were writing the pilot to Late Line, the series I did with Al. And so Al said one day, again, I was just someone who knew basics of cooking. He claimed that he was a grill meister, that he made the best ribs in New England. And I just said, well, I, listen, I know a little bit about this, but the best ribs in New England, that's like being the best Jewish player in the NBA. <laughs> I, you know, come on. And, uh, but, but so we set up a new, brand new Weber kettle grill outside. And uh, we got some spare ribs and we had marinated them overnight in a recipe mm. that he claims is his recipe. And okay. his marinade uh, is soy sauce, sugar, and garlic. So we dumped these spare ribs in these yeah. bags filled with gallons of soy sauce and these. And um, I got the grill very hot per his directions because I didn't know what I was doing. And um, we grilled these ribs over high heat and they were done in 45 minutes. Uh -huh. And we sat down and they were the worst things I'd ever <laughs> had. So that's why Al's responsible because I mean, I'm gnawing on these things. I can't down them. And he eats his and then he eats mine. His ribs <laughs> turned out exactly as he wanted them to. And uh, um, uh, just a switch went off in my head. Why is this a beloved cuisine? Why is yeah. this not good? And how do you do it right? That, that was in 1999. And um, I did a little bit of research on the, uh, you know, the fledgling internet and found <laughs> some guy in Kansas City um, who's known as the Baron of Barbecue, Paul Kirk. He'd okay. written an early definitive book on barbecue. And I got on a plane and I went out there and joined him. I drove from the Kansas City airport to Lexington, Kansas to join him at a competition, one of the earliest barbecue competitions. And I cooked with him on his team. It was just the two of us. And he started to teach me. Then it led to other things in life. It led to, you know, actually getting to be pretty good at it and then getting equipment that was more and more sophisticated learning a style. And then when Al, when our show got canceled, Al went to Air America. Remember Air America? Right, I know. We yeah. still are lacking having a progressive radio station in What's the tri-state area. I don't know. So he went to Air America and you had time on your hands, I guess, right? And, and he asked me, would I come and work on the show in some capacity, listen to it and see how I felt about it. And, you know, Al's liberal and all his guests are very liberal on the radio show. And uh, I proposed, because now I had this hobby that was blooming, I said, why don't you send me out in America? Send me out to like the places that have the best barbecue combined with people who hate Al Franken. Oh, <laughs> how did that go? I was all over the South for a year and a half uh, on and off. And it was really um, fascinating from, you know, my standpoint to meet some of these legendary pitmasters. 
one place in particular, Al really liked the guests. And it turned out to be one of my favorite places for the food and the people. It's Decatur, Alabama. And that uh, pit master there, Chris Lilly, he became my teacher and then it took off. What's the thrill while you're standing there and it's cooking? What's going on? The thrill is, first of all, to get to the thrill, you have to overcome the potential terror of, I could fuck all this up. This could be a disaster. Oh, man. So being a Jewish pitmaster, I think like that. (laughs) I'm not trained like a guy from Mississippi who, you know, is more relaxed about this, usually. Right. I I sweat it, and I'm... I'm, I'm kind of a mother hen around the pit. I've been told that I don't think like a pit master. You think more like a Jewish mother around the pit? Is that what That's you're right. saying? That's right. Once I sort of feel, get all my instincts are like, you know what, we're on the path. And that this, if I do the fire correctly, because you're constantly feeding the fire, constantly balancing smoke and heat uh, over the course of eight and a half hours. God, that's so, that's a lot of patience too. A lot of like big time commitment. It, it is and and explains my you know rare but every couple of year uh, bout with diverticulitis because it's like I'm tense. Then your mind starts to think once that you achieve a certain like level of stability and consistency in the cook they're going to have something they've never had before. That's what, there's where it starts to get like anticipation and confidence. And they're, they are going to, they would have to travel thousands of miles to get this. That's what happens. With brisket, after it's done, they cut it open and they get all excited about that ring. They call it a smoke ring, but actually not what it is, but they call it that. What What is it? What is that? It's, it's what happens, and if there's some real barbecue cognoscenti listening to this, they may call me out on it. It's what happens when you cook meat in an atmosphere starved of oxygen. And it's a reaction between the carbon dioxide and the proteins in the beef. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's what creates the color. And there are ways to achieve that just using preservatives. It's... It, it just means that it's, chances are it's been cooked the proper way. Properly. It's been cooked properly. And you've achieved something that like, it's like a tag. It's like a bookmark of authenticity. That is a perfectly cooked brisket. Beautiful. I'm getting hints of the salt, which mm-hmm. is very pleasing, but there's, First of all, beef flavor coming through. That's the most pronounced flavor yeah. to me is the beef, which is what I'm always looking for. Hmm. Uh, I was in uh, psychoanalysis up until two years ago. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he actually asked me during session, what are you doing with this barbecue thing? What, why are you doing this? And so we actually had to explore it a little bit. Um, and, and I think for me, and, and I think you, you guys all will understand this, it's like an antidote to show business. You're feeding people, 
you're giving people something they've never had before that they love and and talk about and it's making people happy and you know that's kind of what we do with shows and we we engage people and and that's what it meant it was like establishing community for me and i'm from a small ohio town and i was raised until i left for college town of six thousand people a farm town and it kind of recreated this idea of, of a community when i look at this brisket and taste it i think of lbj I'm thinking of being in a Cadillac with big fins on it, <laughs> going 90 miles an hour out on the ranch, right. hooping and hollering. That's this brisket right there. Are you a sauce person or a rub person? That's a great question. And you won't get an answer because all barbecue is about, that's why you call it a pit master because can you command this vessel and the smoke and the heat so that the meat is rendered properly? So that's the basis. And the very first thing you should taste, the first hit of flavor should be the beef or the pork or the chicken. And then the follow-up should be the finish, should be the rub or sauce. So regionally, you know, the Carolinas are all about the sauce. sauce. Okay. Uh, the Carolinas are about pig and the sauce. They chop it up. I, I think a lot of like, this is sort of heresy, but a lot of uh, Carolina barbecue, you know, they chop up the pork and that's, and it's easy to cover your mistakes. <laughs> you know, what's funny is on the barbecue, on your show, I see sometimes when they're preparing it to be judged. And when I see it getting chopped up like that, I'm always wincing like, no, don't, don't. Cause it just, <laughs> It, it, it's wrong. It feels wrong for me to, for it to be like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> shut, shut up, well, Nancy. <laughs> the way to get it, the way to, that it would it's feel emotional. Like, it is. A I'm bit, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's so little fisticuffs over barbecue and flavor. And, uh, but if it's, you can get that uh, pulled pork which mm -hmm. is the Chris Lilly style of pulled pork. He's like a seven time world champion. Right, okay. Where there's a succulence and, and continued moisture and flavor that is really ex exquisitely, it, it not melts in your mouth, but it has a nice chew to it, but not much. And, and uh, great on a, on a potato roll. So, it's many different things in all these places where barbecue started, the ingredients have to do with what was available. Right. And is there a difference, I, I think I know the answer, but I'd like you to tell, between how African-American barbecue is versus the white Southerners? Um, barbecue started with the people who could not afford the better cuts of meat. Right. So they were cooking what was basically tossed aside by the butchers. And it was African-American and it was migrant. It was also like people that were working from, came up from Mexico and work. And there was Czechs who, who made it in Texas and Germans in Texas who did it. No I mean, kidding. it was basically though, I think it was co-opted from early American. I mean, it was over here when America was explored hmm. with indigenous people here. 
And um, is there a difference? I, you know, I think there is more of an authenticity to um, people who've been doing it for a long time and maybe they did it because their fathers or mothers did it or, you know, so they did it. And there's like a lineage to doing it where I feel that there's, there are these natural gifts that people have. I've tasted mediocre barbecue done by everyone. <laughs> but the people who have, who where you can taste the love in the food are the people that do it very well. And it was, it's interesting on the competition circuit too, that there hasn't been more diversity. Why is that? I, I asked, um, one of the heads of the Kansas City Barbecue Society about that. And she said that unfortunately what happens is it costs people too much money to get here. So it, there is a discrimination uh. to that and people have to hope to win something to afford to get home. So that's as far as competition barbecue is concerned. But I think that the best barbecue is really done in the out of the way places the discovery places, the off the main drag places. And often that's communities where it's been there for a long time and people care about it as an art form. And I don't know, did I answer the question? All I can say is I'm I so know, hungry. Yeah. I am really, <laughs> I have a, a question um, in terms of beef, grass fed versus corn. Is there a difference? Does it matter with barbecue? Nancy Wyatt knows her barbecue. Are, <laughs> these are very oh, thank good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I, I you just don't? Re I, re I research she, before I interview people. She's I, I also wanna... been very conscious about, about, you have been, Nancy, about, about organic and how things, how meats yeah, are well, fed yeah. and stuff. So uh, Nancy Wyatt, I'm going to give you the most disappointing answer, which is the, <laughs> healthiest, the healthiest raised stuff, yeah. the organic, the grass-fed stuff, makes the worst barbecue. Yeah. Why is that? Because oh, the fat, it's lacking in fat. Is that why? You, you, want, you want these animals to be uh, grain-finished oh, and confined to a certain degree to oh. get intramuscular fat. Yeah. Now, the extreme and what has not been written about is, uh, and I don't know where it's at right now, so I don't want to say anything libelous here, but uh, slanderous, but um, Kobe beef, uh, in the beginning, which everyone always said is a, a tremendous mistreatment of the animals. Oh, oh dear. But I think they've they've fixed that. There are places where they're obviously more conscientious. However, like here in the States, we have a combination of American genetics and Kobe genetic. It's called Wagyu beef. Very hard to regulate. And it's not as beef-like as beef raised in Kansas purely in Kansas of American stock, the, uh, the Wagyu and the Kobe have, they, they verge into different flavors. Hmm. There's a little more gaminess to it, but people like that tenderness. When I cook beef, I cook the level of choice, not really the highest level of beef, but you can find wonderful beef that is raised fairly humanely, probably out of Pennsylvania. And, and that's in New Jersey, that's in Jersey City, that's a place in Jersey City called Debraga and Spittler. Debraga and Spittler. D-E-B-R-A-G-G-A. Debraga and, and Spittler. Spittler, and it's been around since the 1920s. And they have, I believe you can order online from them, but get prepared to pay. It's excellent beef. And if you want to make short ribs, which I made yesterday. 
<laughs> but I made them sous vide, which we can't, it, which has to be our secret because some barbecue folk will not be happy about it. <laughs> what made you do them that way? Because I was writing and working every day and with sous vide, you shrink wrap it in plastic in like a, you know, it's like cryovac, you shrink wrap it and lower it into a warm bath. French way of cooking for beef, it's ideal. You could actually go to work somewhere in the morning and have it, the, you have it the next day because sous vide beef can take, you know, anywhere from 10 to 24 hours to cook. Wow. So I lowered them in a bath uh, two days ago and took them out uh, 25 hours later. Uh, we had a chef coming to help us here and while we were working, because I ain't cooking for these folks. <laughs> it's just too much. I don't know. I, I, being a host, I mean, this is the level of, of being hosting that I think I can do. Uh, I just can't do as much of it anymore where I, my nerves don't get frayed taking care of It's of hard. It's hard. You have a lot of balls in the air. It's hard. It gets yeah. old after two days. It's just like, <laughs> it's time for you to go. <laughs> uh, Great scene. Thanks, for, about thanks for, for saying that, but yes. That's, There's that's a hotel right. down the street. I we, know. we can meet in the morning and finish the script. But you oh go. my God, I know. <laughs> that's the problem of being in the country is there's nowhere to go. Oh dear, uh, oh dear. But, but uh, I just handed the, the very tender cooked short ribs off to Chef Joanne mm -hmm. and um, uh, she finishes them. So with sous vide, you need five minutes at the end to put a char on it That's and some it. more flavor on it. That's it. You get a hot skillet and you go and you char it on the skillet or on your grill, on your gas grill. And, it's moist, uh, isn't it? The meat's very moist, I can imagine. When you do sous vide, it uh, loses the least moisture of mm. any manner of cooking. Wow. But you have to wrap it in plastic. You have to do, you have to do a shrink. Oh yeah, one of those things where it's a sealed, right? The vacuum sealed. Yes, yes like yeah. a food saver. Yeah, uh, yeah, I just... Yeah. You can cook vegetables like that. I know people, some people don't like the idea of plastic and- That's just, I can't. You can, oh, okay, okay. Have, have a bite More of- More sous vide for me, more for me. Okay. <laughs> I'd say, have a bite of what I make this way and then tell me if you can. And then tell you can, okay. That's well, the, yeah, this, yeah, the option of maybe coming up there and doing the Zoom in person, I realize now what a mistake sure. this was to do a Zoom. Yeah, no, that's, it's fine, but. Oh God, that sounds so good. Do you have a preference between pork or beef when it comes to barbecue or they're uh, tied? They're, they're, I'm, they're tied for me. Beef is a little bit more challenging to do. I find that anything, it's like when we were talking about rubs and sauces, anything where the meat is executed to a certain level mm -hmm. is great. Mm -hmm. It's just great. And um, I like doing uh, pork shoulders, pork butts. We call it a butt because in uh, colonial times, the barrels that they shipped it in were called butts. And um, that's what I cook when I cook with Chris Lilly, the, the rare times now these days I get to cook with him. And what he does, um, he injects the pork. With? Marinade. 
with a natural mm -hmm. marinade. Yeah. Uh, ingredients you buy off the shelf in the grocery store. And they're just right. What he does is just right. I have a recipe from him that I think is lacking one ingredient because it's a family secret. <laughs> People will do that. They'll I know. give me a recipe and leave one thing out. Yeah. I'll give it to him, but I'll hold one thing back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, you know, which is their right when you think about it. But oh. actually, it, you could, it gives you a, a chance to maybe fill that in with something that could take it to a whole other level, perhaps. Like my first teacher always said, Paul Kirk would say, make it your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You make it your own. I'm going to give you the basics, but then make it your own. It all comes down to the ability to not use too much smoke. And the wood has to be the right age and the right moisture content. Mm. Oh, wow. And you have to build a gentle bed of coals because you're cooking between 200 and 250 or 270 on with barbecue. So and so slow. Slow. Oh, yeah. low, low and slow. Low it? and slow. And okay. um, you have to really be able to uh, understand the physics of, of uh, fire and the physics of smoldering fires and how to replenish them with the right amount. Because you're, someone once said to me, you know, John, you, when it comes to barbecue, you could talk a dog off a meat wagon. And I feel like I'm going on right now. What are dinosaur ribs? You mentioned one of those in a videotape. That's one of the nicknames for whole plate short ribs, okay. which are high, high on the animal and the bones are wide. Mm -hmm. So you're getting the bones at their greatest width up towards the spine. The meat that's on that has a particularly high fat content because the animal's not exercising that part of them, which yeah. is what you want. It's better to cook the front leg of the hog than the picnic, which is the back leg, because it gets more of a workout. Ah, mm -hmm. right. You want the fat. You want the fat. A guy from Mississippi watched how I tended my pit, and he put his arm around me, and he said, son, you got to learn to walk away. You're never going to be a real barbecue man if you fuss like this. So I, I have to ask you, am I that uh, pathetic that I have a, uh, you know, Weber. a Weber grill that's, you know. Don't tell me it's gas. Propane. So yeah, Is you're it, that pathetic. I'm, I'm that pathetic. I had a charcoal grill for the longest kind of time, but I thought that that was like the next step up. Okay. I've, it's, I've it's, it. a, it's a sideways step. It's All not right. a step up. Like you, you guys know about big green eggs, right? You've heard about the porcelain for the big green egg. Oh wait, oh is that the kind of uh, grill, the the ceramic? Oh yeah, grill? yeah, ceramic yes, grill. yeah. Yes. There, there are different brands of them. There's the Kamado grills, right? And the big green eggs are sort of the the standard, but Kamado's excellent. You can. I could still get a big green egg or a little green egg. Yeah, you can also get another ranch kettle grill, which doesn't set you back too much money at all. Um, the Weber kettle grill, the original Weber, which is like a kettle. Yeah. And, and that's great to cook with charcoal. Okay. All right. Charcoal. There's an even better grill that I think I would get. I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> to get one. It's based on an old design. They've been making them for a long time called the PK grill. It's an all aluminum grill. 
I think invented in the 50s or 60s. It will not rust. They've made them a little jazzier. I'd get an Aaron Franklin PK grill. I thought this was so cool. You directed that documentary, The Kings of Barbecue, Kuwait. What year was that? Because that was the war was still going. Well, we had just started the drawdown when I okay. went up 2011. And uh, we have to go back to uh, Senator Al Franken. Because one of the things people don't know about Al is that um, before he became a senator for, I believe, eight years in a row at Christmas time, he went as part of the USO and entertained the troops yeah. in, in the Mideast. And he would go to Baghdad and he would go to some serious war zones, a la the way Bob Hope used to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, it was one of the great pleasures of his life. Um, uh, Al had been over there and came back from one of his trips and said, you need to go and cook for the, the young men and women who are over there fighting because a lot of them are from the South. There's a lot of people from barbecue regions and they don't get home cooked meals ever. No. When they're yeah. at Camp Eric John, where we went and uh, Camp Buring, I think it's called, eight miles from the border of Iraq, they go to DFAC or they go to the mess hall. It's called DFAC, but you know, the mess hall where they eat. And it's hard to feed that number of people. So they weren't, you don't get a home cooked meal. So he said, can you um, maybe ask for some of the people from the TV show? Cause they get your TV show over there and bring them over there and feed some of these troops. And so we, this is prior to him becoming a Senator and um, we had a year and a half of phone calls back and forth with the USO because they didn't quite understand what we wanted to do. Because barbecue is hard to really explain as far as like, here are the methods that we need to be able to use. We're not grilling yeah. hamburger hot dogs, you know, on, on oven baked proteins, we, right? <laughs> so, which we call jailhouse ribs. <laughs> you use an oven, it's a jailhouse rib. Okay, sorry, um, go on. Nothing wrong with jailhouse ribs, by the way. You can, they can be pretty wonderful. Mm. Um, but there's nothing like that open heat outside in a, so um, we didn't get it to happen uh, for the first year and a half. We couldn't get, we couldn't connect. And the whole logistics of doing it were really hard to comprehend. And um, then Al became a senator. Mm. And God bless him two days in office, he went to one of the congressional heads of something mm -hmm. and said, I want this to happen for our troops. You know, one of the first pieces of legislation Al Franken did was guide dogs for- Rehabilitative for, dogs to help veterans, for like help mental veterans. health. Mm -hmm. That's Al's legislation. I remember he that. Got some help, but he did that. And so here he becomes a Senator he, he makes this one of the first things he does. And then I get a phone call right away. I get a phone call from the USO saying, explain this to us. And then a year later, we were on planes going to Kuwait City. Nine days over there cooking for about 5,000 uh, soldiers and Marines. The doc is so moving because you see, again, not only all the things you're talking about, about home cooking and uh, sharing a table and how these things make such a difference when your life is on the line and you can get some 
good home cooking. It's great. I know. You're, you're feeding a couple of thousand people, right? And they, they all have to make this as part of when they're not working, when they're not on duty, they can come. And there were times when we were told we had 200 uh, that weren't going to come because they were going into battle, they were on a mission. That's what happens. Yeah. So it was uh, a very moving experience to sit with these young people who are over there and to have them taste this food under a full moon in the desert where at night it was 105 degrees. Whoa, and, golly. And uh, we, you know, we have them on camera talking about home. It was a uh, labor of love and uh, uh, I've not released it. Why? Not been released because I need to finish it. Oh, it's not finished? I saw an, I guess, I, what did I see? The preliminary cut? You, you didn't see a final cut or oh. color corrected cut or audio corrected cut. It was like final, pre-final cut. Okay, so we've got some flash questions for you. So that, does that mean I need to answer them like that? Well, you can answer them without thinking about them and then follow yeah. up with a quick why, because okay. we yeah. want to know why you think that, okay? Yeah. okay. This will be like my therapy. Okay, pork butt or ribeye? Grilling versus smoking. Oh, wow. He's the answering answer a question with The answer is pork butt. If you, want a, if you want a steak, you get a ribeye. If, if you want to have pulled pork, you get a pork butt. All right. Ribeye is going to take you about 12 to 14 minutes to cook to medium rare. Pork butt's going to take you an hour and 20 minutes per pound. Um, at a certain point, by touch, by color, you know what's going on. Chris Lilly is my teacher and one of my heroes and really one of the most skilled people in barbecue. <clears throat> he'll take that shoulder and he'll bring it to room temperature and he'll lay it on the cutting board and he'll just look at it for like five minutes. And, and, I'll, and I'll say, okay, Chris, like, I, I really don't know this side of you. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and he says it's talking to me yeah. it's telling me what to do well that's our show thanks to our sponsor BetterHelp join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with a BetterHelp therapist and be sure to remember as a special offer to Giles Files listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month if you use the code betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. That's betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. And a big thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Special thanks to our friend John Marcus. Man, we had such a blast talking to him. And note to John Marcus, yo, when can we expect your brisket visit? Because I've got the backyard, so you just bring the meat and the equipment to us in Weehawken. Uh, be sure to shoot us a text when you're on the way. The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt. Produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt. And recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey. Be sure to check out The Giles Files on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and write us a review. Tell us what you think, for Pete's sakes. We want to hear from you. We will be back soon with another episode of The Giles Files, okay?
Ahura Media Production.